0: Welcome to Piecemeal, a podcast hosted by the EMILY Program, where we put it all together for you. Piecemeal discusses topics related to eating disorders, body image issues, and how society may contribute to distorted thinking. Please keep in mind that we may discuss difficult topics, and we ask that you use your own discretion when listening, or that you speak with a therapist as needed. I'm your host, Jillian Lampert. Today, we're excited to share another voice of eating disorder recovery. Here to share his experience with these disorders is Mark Schindler. Mark is a rising senior studying journalism at the university of Toledo. He's an NBA writer and podcaster for SB nation and his co-created site premium hoops. When he's not working, he can be found spending time with his dog moose and his girlfriend listening to nineties hip hop or spending way too much time trying to find something to watch. Thanks for being on piecemeal, Mark. We really appreciate you spending some time with us.
1: Thank you guys for having me. And actually it's, it's really funny because, uh, it's been about ten seconds since we talked about our dogs getting in the way, and my dog Moose has already brought a tennis ball over to me. After deciding, you know, right, right after we hit record, he's like, "Well, I'm going to wake up now." So that's that's the start today.
0: <laughs> that's awesome. Well, you know, they have to be in on it because they really, frankly, are the stars of the show, right?
1: Oh, exactly. Totally.
0: Well, let's jump in, uh, Mark. Tell us, tell us a little bit about your eating disorder story. So, what do you? Remember about your early experiences with, with food or your body? What was, what was going on that, that became more problematic? And then, sort of lastly, what happened? When did you realize you were struggling with something that you, you realized was more serious?
1: Yeah. First of all, before I, I, I get started, I do want to say, because I know I needed to hear this when I was you know, trying to realize that I needed to get help. Um, just know things are going to get better. It's going to sound dark when I talk about it, but I am. In the best place I've ever been in my life now. And that's not me just trying to talk clean to you. Uh, it's, that's realistic. That's true. It's going to get better. So just keep that in mind. So for me, it took a long time before I realized what was going on. To preface a little bit, um, I was a boxer. That's what I was getting into. I was at school at Michigan State my first 2 years. And I got really heavily into it. And I was good at it. I was really good at it. And I was focusing on a pro career. And I, I, I struggled a lot with pressure and dealing with how people talked about me. And it wasn't in a bad way, but I just—I think there's, I don't want to say an issue in society. It's part of the reason I became an NBA writer and I love writing features about players because I think we sometimes forget that even though these people are doing great things when they're on the court or in the ring or on a track and field, they're just as human as we are. And I know that's, again, it sounds totally cliche, but I struggled with that. Uh, I really struggled with that. Even when I was performing well, I would come out of the ring and I'd think, wow, you know, I didn't do good enough. I have to do better. You know, Somebody could say 10 great things about what I did. I, I could knock somebody out and um, I could have the best day in sparring possible. And I would hear the one criticism. So I got to a point where I was like, okay, I'm going to drop a weight class to be more competitive. And that's when my eating disorder really started. It seemed at the time really small, but it was gigantic for me in in a negative way. Because I think it was was Christmas Eve of, I believe, 2017, sophomore year of college. I made the decision. I was like, all right, I'm going to eat this one piece of cake. And then I'm not going to eat any dessert or anything with added sugar in it. And that was the start. That was the first thing that happened. So it didn't really hit me until... After I got out of my fight for that one, and that was the worst athletic performance I've ever had in my life. I fought in front of probably 1,500 people, which is the most I've ever had. So my, the pressure frame was already way up. And then I got in there and I just had no stamina or anything. So I done, I totally just destroyed my body. And So I, I got out of my fight and I just... Oh, the first thing I could think about was like relief. And I lost. I, I, I lost that fight and i was like crushed emotionally but physically all i could think about was eating something because i hadn't just eaten in a while and so all i was thinking about was like oh i'm going to have one cheat meal and then i'm going to get right back at it and then that just turned into a really nasty process of 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 binge eating so it would be you know you try and walk through the cafeteria back in your dorm and uh you're like well i mean i i, I can't eat any of this stuff but then eventually you're like well i'm going to just have it once and then It turns into, you know, that's just a continual process and you keep beating yourself up over it. And it's, you really can't eat it almost. I mean, I I believe you had an eating disorder, Jillian. So I know that obviously you know what I'm talking about. But like mentally, the block there is just like, I don't know how to explain it. It's almost like somebody has the force on you. Like just, you're, you're in like a chokehold and you can't, you just can't touch something. And that's what it was like, you know, and uh, I went through that for probably three months. And then I, you know, had the quote unquote, like grace period, um, where I got things back together. I, you know, I I hired a nutrition coach and um, went on like my craziest fitness routine that I'd ever gone through to prepare for another fight. And uh, I was great. It was going great. But mentally, oh my God, it was like the worst state I've ever been. in. it was kind of like, you know, if you look at like an apple, if you take a bite out of an apple, it starts to brown on the outside, right? And the skin starts to brown. The inside starts to brown. It's like the opposite for an eating disorder. You start to brown from the inside and you can still be perfectly shiny and bright on the outside, but you just start rotting. And so finally, I got to a point that summer, I, I mean, I just... I did not stop working out or anything, but I I was like, yeah, no, I can't I can't go into a fight right now. I told my coaches and everything. I was like, I don't know what's going on, but something's not right with me. And I went and realized I went to orientation. I was going to transfer schools because I, I you know I thought that everything was the problem at Michigan State. Not not in like a bad way. I didn't think that everybody else was like my problem, but I thought my problem was that you know the environment. And so I was I was going to transfer to a school back back in Ohio, Baldwin Wallace. I was right by where I grew up. I went to orientation and I got home and my sister came in my room. I was just sitting in my room and she came in and I just started bawling. And I'd never cry. Like I'm not a, I'm not a crier at all. And I was, I just told her, I'm like, you know, I don't know what's wrong with me, but something is wrong and I cannot go back to school next week because I don't know what's going to happen. Then that started the process of me really researching stuff for a couple days. And, and I got in touch with the Emily program and I went in and got my consultation. I remember thinking like, yeah, it's just going to be like a once a week <laughs> outpatient program or something. And then uh, a month later, well, not even a month. It was probably a week later. I was in five-day outpatient and it's not Cleveland Heights. Cleveland Heights is where the inpatient's at, but it's right over there. It's like Orange, Chagrin Falls. One, yeah. yeah. So I was there and then I was in that for about a month and then I ended up... No, it was two months, two months. and then. I ended up in inpatient at Cleveland Heights, which is where things really were able to change for me. I totally needed that. I think that's another thing. I know I've been going on for a while here, I won't get questions in, but I just that's one thing I would iterate to people who are listening. It is when you first go in, you're going to want to fight everything, and it's not even that you want to, but you just you do fight everything, even though you tell yourself you're not going to. And for me, once I got to Cleveland Heights, I remember I was so afraid. That's the most afraid I've ever been in my life. I've been. You know, I fought guys who were 6 inches taller than me. And I've never been more afraid in my life than when uh, my sister took me to go to the Emily program in, in Cleveland Heights. Um, I did not know what to expect going inside. I did not know what to, uh, what to think at all. And I felt secure for the first time in like a year. It took me a little bit to, to get used to it. And then after that, I, I was there for... 27 days. I got out and I was in outpatient for another two and a half or three months. And then I've been recovered since February of 2018 was the last time that I was in any kind of therapy program for a needing disorder.
0: Yeah. Thank you. First of all, thank you for sharing all of that. Yeah, of course. There's so many things I want to ask you more about. I, I love the Apple analogy. Like That is just brilliant right you're shiny on the outside everything looks fine but but in the middle and then increasingly as you get to the outside it's just not okay and nobody can tell right because all they see is the outside shiny. so it's a it's an incredible analogy and then uh having to sort of figure out how do you how do you heal from the the inside out is another fascinating part of that let's um let's sort of pick apart some pieces of that let's let's go back to the your experience particularly as a boxer, right? So we know that there's a, a, a lot about sports that's incredible and positive and super helpful and formative. And there's also some pieces that can be a little, a little difficult and can lead people who are susceptible to an eating disorder. Um, you know, we know a lot more about the genetics and the neurobiology of eating disorders now that, that some people are just sort of genetically wired when they change the way they're eating or they change their activity or they change something about their their patterns with food it just sort of hits them like a ton of bricks and and that can happen in sports particularly something like boxing or wrestling where there's this cutting weight aspect so if you can talk a little bit more about that sort of what the like what's the goal what's how does it feel what's the hope and then i i think your story illustrates the risk that a lot of people even if they don't end up with an eating disorder end up weaker and more tired and not doing as well in the pursuit of doing better. So tell us more about that cutting weight part of it for you.
1: Yeah, I think I would never, um, I would never let my kid get into a weight cutting sport someday. And I know it's easy to say that as a non-parent now, but I think the harmful aspects of weight cutting just cannot be underscored enough, even for people who don't develop eating disorders from them. You know, and I think there's a, Kind of an inherent issue with it too, societally of the way that people look at weight cutting and the way things are done. And just to, to highlight it, I mean, I'm at a place where I feel pretty decent about my, my body image. Now that's something that I'm still working on. But then when I was you know, at my peak athletically, I mean, I could have been on the cover of men's fitness. And I could tell you then that was the least healthy I've ever been in my life. So I think that's the one thing that I, just looking societally, we we hype that up. We say like, oh, this is a great thing. You know, having a six pack, having abs, maybe for some people, but for most, I can promise you that is not the reality. Your body's supposed to have fat on it. And that's not a bad thing. Fat is not a bad thing. Fat is there to protect you. You're actually more likely to get injured if you have less fat on your body because, you know, you're not, can't absorb that. But anyways, I mean, just in terms of looking at at weight cutting. The impact it had on my body image was crazy. Like, I had never once in my life thought about how I looked, what my weight was, except when I was at the doctors, because that's the only time I ever found out. And it just started within, gosh, like within like days of starting to cut weight for the first time. I started checking myself in the mirror all the time. I was like, well, am I quote unquote making progress? And it's again, it's, it's not progress. It's uh, it's a backwards way of looking at things. And there were days where I would wake up in the morning, and because I, I mean, as people with eating disorders do, I would weigh myself incessantly, crazy amounts. Especially because I was so focused on hitting a certain number to compete, I was so worried about it. And I remember this one time I was going to go out to class. And I went to weigh myself first just to see where I was at in the day. And I like freaked out. (laughs) I went and it was probably middle of September. And I threw on like three sweatshirts and a pair of lion sweatpants and I went and ran. And that was, I mean, that was the norm. You know, that, that would happen all the time. And that is not good. Like that is, that's terrible for your body. That's terrible for, more importantly you emotionally and mentally as a person, like I can't highlight that enough, how destructive that is to, to your well-being. I'm still recovering from it. I mean, the damage that it did to my body image is nuts. That's the one thing that in recovery that has been tough for me. Uh, getting back to being at a level of confidence with your body is difficult and it's something you work on every day. But yeah, and just in terms of, of weight cutting everything, that's that's. I don't know how else to really elaborate that other than it's just an arduous process that I think should be completely out and, and not looked at in the way that we look at it. I, I mean, I almost dehydrated myself multiple times. Yeah. And Yeah. And then I also conversely, I mean, that impacts your athletic performance in a negative way. I really would love to be part of something that gets rid of that. So I think there's a way to have competitive sports like that without having weight cutting for sure.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It just, I mean, it, it doesn't even really make sense, right? The irony of it supposedly being done so you can excel when so many people, the universal experience in so many ways is that it doesn't help people excel. And then it, it does all this other stuff that's so harmful. So it's a, it's definitely, I think it's a problem. I know we've seen some, you know, some changes over time, slowly, maybe a little more so in, in wrestling focused on college wrestling, but still it's, it's a, Common enough practice. Um, I'm also curious what else you observed in in terms of eating and disordered eating behaviors, uh, even if it wasn't you know full eating disorders in in your teammates or in things that your coaches said or in other competitors. Any thoughts on sort of what is the the eating and weight focused world like in that part of the the you know that corner of the sports world?
1: So it's interesting, actually. I. Uh... That's a really great question. I don't have a great answer, to be completely honest. Um, I do have a, a good answer on the sports world in general, but in terms of teammates and everything, I was the only person in my gym who was like that. I mean, my coaches never pushed me in that way. I remember that was one of the first questions when I came to the Emily program. Did a coach ever push you to do this? And I immediately was like, no, you know, never. They, they had no idea what I was doing. They would see me there, but they had no idea what was going on outside. And I remember I went back and I talked to them afterwards. And they were like shocked and pretty shook up about it because they, they just had no idea what was going on. I would say though, in terms of looking at, especially looking at competitive boxing and I, I would guess the same with wrestling. I'm I've, I've not, I'm not super connected with the wrestling world, but uh, I would be more than surprised if a lot of professional fighters, uh, and by a lot, I mean, you know, like a significant portion. So like, 20 to 30%. I think that's a very realistic number for the amount of, of professional fighters that have eating disorders. I think, especially if you just look in terms of like, watch a sports documentary on a fighter and you see some of the stuff that they have to do and the way they talk about how they eat and all that. I mean, I think it's it's very real when you look at it. Sometimes people look at it in terms of, oh, okay, well, being rigid and doing all this stuff with your diet is being healthy. And no, that's it's very disordered, irregular, it messes up your systems. Uh, and I experienced that a ton. But yeah, I, I would definitely say that there's probably a pretty healthy, oh, I guess unhealthy portion of, of athletes uh, in that field who, who do have eating disorders.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's a, I think that the other thing that really strikes me about your story is how, like it's, a, it's such a clear illustration of, of what we what we now understand as we understand the brain science a lot more in eating disorders of how quickly that, that mind frame switches that you, you know, change the way you eat, you start, you know, cutting out whatever it is you're cutting out. And, and it's like the, I don't know, the window just narrows to, that's all you can think about. That's all you're focused on. It, it really in some ways can be a little peaceful or a little calming because that's all you're focused on. And it kind of makes everything else, just a little fuzzy, but the intensity of that experience and how quickly that can happen for people, I think is, is really hard to understand if you haven't you know, seen it in somebody, somebody you love or, or gone through it yourself. And that's really the part about like, now we get kind of why that happens because the, the brain systems that are impacted by how we're eating, they just sort of turn over and get into that different space. And it's really hard to get out of that once you're in it. So it's a it's a sort of stark illustration of how quickly that can happen for people, and how hard it is to kind of see it. Back to that that apple, you know, metaphor. That's it's, it's hard to see it, but it's strong and it's yeah. really really compelling.
1: Yeah, most definitely. I have I have two things kind of off that. I mean, I think number one, just speaking on that focus or more of a an obsession would be the way to put it. I mean, I just started food videos like that was that that was all the time because that's all i could think about it was that training and i didn't have time in my life for anything else and i think my competitiveness which i think that's another thing i wouldn't even necessarily like it was competitiveness but it was more fear i mean i think i was so afraid of everything i was afraid of really afraid of losing i just couldn't sleep at night i mean i would be up at like one or two o'clock in the morning just wide awake thinking well i'm like well I'm, I'm hungry right now, but I know my, the guy I'm about to fight next week probably is eating right now, which is, you know, obviously, you know, it's a ludicrous eating disorder thought, but like, that's what I'm thinking in my head. I'm like, well, he's, he's eating right now. So I can't, or like, I'd wake up at five o'clock in the morning, totally gassed already before getting out of bed. And I'd be like, well, if I don't go on this run. Then I'm I'm going to lose my fight, things like that. And I'm always thinking about this guy who I don't even know that I'm going to see next week. And that coupled with the eating disorder is just you know terrible. And I think the the way to best describe it, like my when it really culminated for me, how an eating disorder impacts you in terms of that obsession. I remember one day I was trying so hard to do homework. Because that was, you know, the hardest thing in the world to do was to just sit down and do homework. And I was sitting at my desk and I hadn't eaten in a while and I Remember, I had like a jar of peanut butter in my dorm room, and I told myself, "All right, I'm gonna have one spoonful of peanut butter, and then I'll get back to work." And I just remember my roommate came in, and I was laying on the floor sobbing with an empty jar of peanut butter. And I mean, I don't, I don't know how else to put it. That's what it, that's what it is. That's what it does. And I think that's the one moment that really sticks out for me.
0: Yeah, those moments are so. Powerful and so illustrative of how it how it works. I have had those moments myself. I I remember the uh, one of the things that as you were talking, I remember an experience I had in college that I actually hadn't thought about for a long time. My my uh, freshman orientation, like day one, right? Day one on campus, I already have an eating disorder. Nobody really knows. I'm really sick. It's like the first friend I make is a is a guy who is at orientation with a with a pot like a saucepan pot of rice and a wooden spoon oh wow (laughs) and i'm like what what are you doing with the with the rice and the spoon i'm sure i wasn't quite that bold you know it's probably just like what what's going on and uh, he just said oh you know it's it's what i eat i just i just like to have it with me and i remember thinking on some like distant plane i remember thinking. I think I can identify with this guy. Like, something <laughs> yeah. here
1: he gets makes me sense yeah. to
0: me, like, you get me. And, uh, and and it turned out that that friendship was very short lived. Yeah, uh, for lots yeah. of reasons. But, but I think about that. And I, I find myself thinking right now about him, like, because that was a sign something was going on. And certainly I had a lot going on for me. So it's a it's so much more common than we realize. And, and specifically, when you get into into athletics, which have this really interesting combination of the factors that make you really good at a sport. Also we know are the factors that might put you at higher risk for developing an eating disorder. If you change the way you eat or when you're changing your activity, if you're not feeling yourself adequately, because those parts of your brain that make you persistent and able to go through things that hurt without stopping and to keep going and to keep trying and to, to really focus and keep at it and make people really good at a sport are the things that an eating disorder hijacks. Yeah. So it totally makes sense. So you decided to to step away from pursuing a, a pro boxing career. Tell us, tell us a little bit about that decision and, yeah. and where you see yourself instead.
1: So I tried. I, I remember very vividly, I, I worked with the doctors at the Emily program. And I remember that was part of how I got through the Emily program was thinking, okay, I'm going to figure this out. I, I knew I had to change things. I still had this idea in my head. Oh, I'm still going to be a professional boxer. It's going to happen. There's, there's just a bump in the road. And I remember going through all the guidelines because I worked out an entire program with my coaches and my, my doctors and credit to them, Dr. Laura Gillespie. Um, she was like, adamant with me. She was like, I'm talking to all of your coaches. We're going to figure it out. If you actually want to do this, we're going to have it laid out. And so I did that. and I. I remember just like getting to the end of that process and talking to all of them because my coaches were really on top of the two. And they're like, you know, we're not letting you do anything that she doesn't let you do. And then I just realized, I was like, you know, I can't, I can't do this because there was a lot of stuff emotionally that that tied into boxing for me that I realized was problematic. So once I got there and that was just going through, you know, regular therapy, talking that through, I realized I was like, wow, okay, I can't, I can't be part of boxing anymore. And, It's almost impossible to, to be a professional boxer without weight cutting. And so I just realized at that point, I'm like, okay, I can't do this anymore. I would rather not go back to where I was. Or not that I would rather not. I would, I'm never going back to where I was. Uh, That's just where it got to for me. But I mean, things are, things are so much better now. It took me, it really took me some soul searching. Like it's not just, doesn't just click for you. You know, I changed my mind like 57 times on what I wanted to do until it finally just hit me. So I I just ended up taking a year and a half off school and I just bartended. I lived in Columbus and I made some really great friends. And A, I I met met my girlfriend too, which was great. She's incredible. But yeah, it just took time figuring out how to be a human again before I could really figure out what I wanted to do. It doesn't just come right away. And and now, as as mentioned in the intro, I, I am an MBA writer and my goal is... You know, I want to be different in how media is covered. I don't. I have some issues with the way some media can cover things. It's not everybody, and that's where I see myself going. I'm. I'm just happy to be living a a normal life, and uh, and that's not a bad thing. I remember when I was when I had an eating disorder. I remember that I had this idea that living a normal life was like the worst thing possible, and that's so false because the idea you have in your head of what is a good life is not a life at all. So. Yeah, I it's I I don't know how else to paint it like that, but I just learned. I'm like, okay, I got out in February of 2018. I was like, I'm just going to try everything. I'm going to try different foods that I've never tried before. I'm going to wear different things that I wouldn't be comfortable wearing. I'm going to talk to people I wouldn't be comfortable talking to. I'm because I mean, how can I be any more uncomfortable than showing up to a house full of 18 people who I've never met before that don't know me that are all there for very similar problems that I have. I mean, nothing gets more uncomfortable (laughs) than that. So, yeah, I think you just learn to live in uncomfortability and make that the normal because if you don't, I think there's a major chance of reverting back to what you were doing. Luckily, I mean, I've been fortunate in that I realized that and I made the most of my time at the Emily program because I know people who didn't. But I mean, you have to, you really have to fight it. And I know that's, again, that sounds cliche or whatever, but it's true. You can't, you, you don't just get out and be okay. Like you have to, it's an everyday thing. Like, I mean, there would be days where I'd tell myself, okay, you have 10 minutes to get dressed. That's it. You're not allowed to take longer, which uh, that's, that's another, just like, it, it makes me laugh now thinking about it. But like at the time, it's just so different. But yeah, I mean, it's just finding little, little constant things that you can, you can tweak and improve on to make sure that, that you're, you're living because if you're spending 35 minutes getting dressed to go to Subway, I mean, like that's, it's not living, you know, it's just, it's not where you want to be.
0: Yeah. Maybe not your best life. Maybe not what you have in mind yeah. for your best life to do. Definitely not. Yeah. How's, um, how would you describe your relationship with with food, with eating, with, with your body, exercise now?
1: So A, with exercise, I'm good with exercise now. I mean, I think I just have it where I'll set a timer for myself. And for the most part, I'm just good at watching the clock. But I remember I was so afraid to get back into, into exercising because I, I knew I wanted to do it to be, I mean, that is part of a healthy life. the exercise a normal amount. I want to say specify that. Not to exercise in general, just to exercise a normal amount. Good to move. So I remember, I, I, I think I was on a phone call with my sister the entire time that I was at the gym the first time. And eventually, I was able to get to a point where I, I could just feel okay. And then I didn't have to worry about timing myself because I knew, okay, if I run a little bit over, I know what I have to do to make up for that later. I know, you know I have to eat a little bit bigger for dinner because I'm going to be hungry. And like, Maybe I won't feel hungry, but I just know, okay, I have to. And that's been good. It feels good to just be able to, to exercise and take your mind off things and, and have some physical exertion without hurting yourself. You know, that's because I wasn't used to that. And in terms of food, I mean, I think I'm pretty good with food now. I was really hardcore. Like my first probably three or four months, I remember, again, my sister was like probably the biggest, biggest part of me getting better. Uh, I talked to her every day. And, she helped me a ton when I got out and we would just go anyway. We'd go get fast food as much as I didn't want to do it. We'd go get it. And we did that for like three or four months. We just tried everything. Anything that I was afraid of, I told myself, okay, if if I'm afraid of it, I'm going to eat it because I have to. And it's, that's just how it's going to be. And again, I want to iterate. You can get to a point where finding the balance to just like eat in a way that is good for you is that's difficult to find. It takes time. And I think I still make sure I balance that. Like sometimes I'll, it'll be like four or five days. And I'm like, okay, I haven't eaten anything that's really like, that makes me like feel like uncomfortable. So I have to, I should do something out of the box today just to make sure that I keep that going. And to be honest, I mean, there are still days where it's tough. Sometimes you'll see things and you'll be like, wow, I really don't want to eat that right now. Or you'll, you won't you will feel great after eating it, but that's mostly mental, I think. And body image, I think body image is the hardest one for me. That's That's something I still struggle with. But it's it's not the end of the world. And you, journaling is really helpful, you know. But journaling, good thoughts, making sure you uh, you journal about the thoughts that are bad or or negative, I should say, and, and just kind of correcting them. Like, okay, well, this is why I'm feeling this, and this is why that's maybe not true. And well, this is how we can feel better. I think that's just the biggest thing. And I, I remember my my therapist t- told me about that. And When she explained that, I mean, I'd been talking to her like. I was a brick wall for like two months before I came out of inpatient. I came back to her and she's like, Oh my God, you get it now. I'm like, yeah, it took a little bit, but it's definitely like, it it was, it was a process. That's that's the best way to put it.
0: Yeah. It's definitely a process, right? It's a, and, and, and it'll be interesting to see how it keeps unfolding, right? Because you don't, you don't really know where every twist and turn in the road is, but you have a lot of, It sounds to me like you have a lot of tools, you have a lot of insight, you have a lot of ways to identify what works well for you, what doesn't. I I love your sort of like, I'm going to try it. If I'm afraid of it, I'm going to do it. Because that I think is so powerful because that fear just sort of keeps us stuck. And if we can try it and find out like, oh, turns out it wasn't quite as scary as I thought it was going to be. And maybe it wasn't even that big of a deal after all. Maybe I can do other things and, and I can make it work. So Sounds like a a great path and and that you have some of those things you need to be able to prepare for whatever else kind of comes your way. I'm thinking a lot about what, you know, people who listen to this and and people who are, you know, we hear a lot and and, and you may have experienced this yourself too, about, you know, oh, I don't know if I should get help, I don't know if I need it, I, I I'm afraid, maybe nothing's wrong with me, maybe it's not that bad, maybe treatment's not for me, whatever those thoughts are. What would you say to somebody else? who's you know, sort of maybe back where you were in, in 2017 or earlier, what advice would you give them?
1: a good question. See, it's funny because right now, I know if I was listening to, to myself talk right now back then, I'd be like, well, what is that guy talking about? I think, wow. So it's actually, again, something that's funny now, but not, not funny then. When I was first struggling after I had you know, dropped weight for that fight, I went and I saw the Michigan State nutrition counselor, and she told me like a year before I got to the Emily program, she's like, "I think you have an eating disorder, and I want to get you help." And I I was not super polite, um, and I I actually really wish that I had her contact information. I don't think she still works there anymore, but I would love to apologize for her and let her know that I'm actually alive. Um, but yeah, it, uh, how would I say you should go about getting help? Just Make the call and be persistent because I, I think you can't one off it. It's really easy to not follow through with things. I mean, that's true completely in life, but especially with this, I mean, you're fighting yourself the entire time. You're you're not gonna want to go. You have to hold yourself accountable. And the biggest thing for me was I had a, a great network of people who, who were willing to help me and 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 force me to to go. But at the end of the day, you have to get to a point where, where you're able to force yourself to go, not for other people, but for you. Because I'd always done everything in my life for other people. I wasn't doing it for myself. And You have to get to a point where you're doing it for yourself. And that, that's, that probably doesn't happen until you're most of the way through eating disorder treatment. You know, it just, it's hard. I think if you're having thoughts that you need help or you might need help, then you almost definitely need help. Because I remember... I had 50 people tell me that I needed help before I went and got it or before I even started thinking that I needed it. And I, because your first reaction, when somebody tells you that you need help or that you're doing something wrong is going to be, well, F you, I'm doing this the way that I know how to do it and I'm doing my best and I'm going to, to do better. At least uh, for me, that's how I was. Anytime t- somebody told me that I couldn't do something, I think part of that was my, my mentality before Um, But the eating disorder heightens that. You have this mentality. It's just very, very fiery, very angry, uh, just a terrible energy. And it can get... I would say too, I'm going off on a tangent a little bit, but also you do have to be careful about who you're talking to and the way you're bringing things up. You need to... If you think you have an eating disorder, talk to the Emily program or places that specialize in it. Because I remember... And this is not to talk down on regular practicing physicians. Um, But I saw multiple doctors who told me I was fine because they didn't understand. I I came in there. I didn't know what was going on. So I couldn't tell them it's not on them. But I remember I went and I saw a cardiologist because I was getting ready for a fight and they told me my heart rate was like way too low. So I had to go get it checked out by a cardiologist. And yeah, they told me, oh, they're like, oh, it's just because you're an athlete and you do so much, so much training. And In their mind, they were right. But if you look at it through an eating disorder lens, you see if they'd gone with me and seen everything I was doing every day, then they would have looked at it completely differently. So I think that's that's the one thing you have to reach out to the right people. If you think you have an eating disorder, reach out to the people who know what they're talking about. And that is the Emily program. If they can't help you, they will find you somebody who is closer to you that can help you. I was just fortunate enough that I lived like 20 minutes from the Emily program.
0: That's great. I I think that's such a good point, right? It illustrates like our a couple of things. One, a lot of health professionals get zero training in eating disorder. So they don't even know how to recognize it if it's right in front of them. And we have this sort of challenge with determining what really what health really is. And so I imagine you came in and like, oh, look at this guy who's active and athlete and successful and doing great. Yeah, everything's fine. And you know, they they just probably didn't have any training on eating disorders so they didn't even go there so i think you're right if you think if you think it's a problem or if somebody's telling you they think it's a problem chances are pretty good it's a problem and that's that's true right. cuz people kind of have that gut instinct about like hmm something's not right and i think the other thing that happens a lot of time certainly happened for me i don't know about you you know, when people start to think, well, maybe it's a problem, then the sort of like, well, I can take care of this myself. Kind of kicks <laughs> yes. in.
1: Yeah, that's the thing.
0: Right. So, so what would you say to somebody who's like, I got this, I can take care of myself?
1: No, the answer is no, you can't. I've never met anybody who could, and I never will meet anybody who could. It's just not doable. And that's not to berate you as a person. But you're not yourself right now, if you have an eating disorder. So I would tell you that right off the bat and no, you have to get help and you're not going to be able to take care of it yourself.
0: Yeah. That's what I would that's what I would say too. I would, I would add that like, I'm really glad you want to, you want to take care of this yourself and you want to work really hard because you're going to have to, because eating sort of recovery is a ton of hard work and that ton of hard work, just like anything else you do, it can be a team sport. You can get help. That's going to make it better. That's going to make it easier. That's going to make you more successful. But I'm glad you want to work really hard at it because you're going to have to. Because this is a is a hard road, but mm-hmm. but a really ultimately fulfilling place to get to to the other side. I, I have one, another question. Um, maybe my last question. But you know, we know that that probably about based on our studies, which aren't you know aren't as as uh, complete as they need to be. But when you look at the literature, probably about forty percent of people who get eating disorders are men, and so. We know that, but yet people still seem to think like, oh, eating disorders just impact females. Clearly that's not true. And I think it makes it hard for anybody who's not female to seek care because they believe that's true. What would you add to, from your experience in that realm, in terms of what we need to be telling people and what we need to be thinking about?
1: Yeah, um, so I have a couple of thoughts right off that. I think number one, Like we mentioned earlier about the way that we look at bodies, that needs to change, which I don't see that changing for a while. But I think there's been good talk on it. Number two, I mean, yeah, it's very, very true. I mean, I'm sure I've I've encountered other guys who have eating disorders, and I'm sure they don't know it or recognize it. And I've encountered a lot of people who have really disordered ways of doing things that maybe it doesn't manifest in an eating disorder because they don't have the genetic disposition. But I do think that's very real, that a lot of people have disordered ways of eating and, and exercising. But I, I think the the biggest thing I would look at is we need to change and again, it's not a knock on on teachers or the people who write textbooks, but the way that I was taught eating disorders in my health class was A, you either like you're extremely overweight or you can see your bones. That's that's all I was taught essentially. I mean, I remember the first time when that, that, that uh, nutrition counselor told me that I had an eating disorder. I thought she was crazy. I was like, well, I have abs. I have muscles. I don't like purge. So I don't understand how I have an eating disorder. And that is, while I think it's very difficult to make that a teachable thing in, in classes, that has to be something that, that you teach because I, I, I think just from, from my experience, the majority of people that I, went through treatment with they would not be what you expect of of somebody who has an eating disorder i mean most people who have an eating disorder you unless you know exactly what you're looking for you you don't you would you would have no inkling and i'd I'd also say most people who have eating disorders are very good at hiding it so that's something that i really hope to see change because i it's been difficult i mean i try and Get people to understand that. Cause I, I remember when I was trying to explain to people that I did know what had happened, and I still haven't explained to a bunch of people because it's, it's a lot of people just, it's hard to explain. Well, they just asked me, they'd be like, well, you, you never looked like you had an disorder. I'm like, yeah, but I did. I mean, it's, it's a lot more than looking. A lot of it feeds into really nasty psychology that US society has, which that's a whole other discussion, but that's something that I can't stand. Yeah, there's like this huge issue with, with Machoism and, and all that in, in US society that just doesn't make any sense to me. Especially because most of the time it's just you're trying to cover up what you're afraid of. So just a reminder to people. But yeah, that's there there definitely could be a lot of ways that, that that could be improved.
0: Yeah. I agree. I think I mean I think, you know, right now we're we're making a little dent in that because we're talking about it, right? And that letting people know that, that I, I think you're absolutely right. You, you know, most people, you won't know they have an eating disorder by looking at them or, uh, or just knowing it's, it's really part of the, these are illnesses that thrive on secrecy and isolation. That's how they work. That's how they work in the brain. And so that's how they work in behavior. And so it's not something you're, you're going to really know. And there are also illnesses that, that are really not oftentimes not super agreeable to like, yeah, let's go do something. Like I, I love your story about that nutritionist <laughs> At school, you know, I, I hope maybe you can find, find her and, and let her know. Like,
1: I I really hope so. That's a life mission. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean, I, I certainly have had people say, say something like that I'm, to me when I've said, yeah, I think, I think something's wrong. And and I could say, I, I bet you'd love to hear that. Like, Hey, doing okay. You were right. And I'm doing okay. Yeah. That'd be a good day. Good day of work for her, I bet. But, uh, but I think it's really important to just keep talking about it because these are, these are really tenacious, fierce illnesses that some of us get, and that's unfortunate, and they're treatable, you can get better, and that's only going to happen if we can keep talking about it. So, you know, we're really appreciative that you're talking about your experience today. Anything, any sort of last thought you have about, you know, any advice you'd give to somebody or any, uh, anything you'd say to yourself, uh, you know, sort of going back a couple of years that you could whisper in
1: your in your younger self's ear a great question one thing that i was i remember being really afraid of was like can you have a relationship after and i think of course but you can't have a relationship with somebody else until you have a good relationship with yourself because i you know i mean until i got to a point where i realized i'm a human being too and you know i think that was that was an idea i had this idea i wasn't a human being I was like, okay, I need to be more than human. That that was always the mentality with with me, but yeah, once you get to a place with yourself, then that can happen. But you have to wait. Like you cannot. I remember, luckily, nothing. Uh, I never had any issues when I got was with my girlfriend. Cause I was recovered by the time that I met her. But yeah, I mean, I, I just think about the things that I was going through still, and any anything with your body image or with your mentality, because I was saying mentally weak is the wrong way to put it, but I was mentally recovering. You know, your, your whole mentality on life has to recover because the way you looked at everything was so different. And yeah, I think it just, it just takes time. And also I would say, I don't know if your experience was different, but I would, I would definitely say just in terms of, of friendship and everything, it's very difficult. And I, I, I say this politely, I'm still friends with one person who I went to treatment with, but I got to the point, I had to cut off just about everybody I went to eating disorder treatment with because A, I don't think it's healthy to keep you know, hanging out and seeing these people who had very similar issues to you. And I'm not saying that every person, it's not that everybody's going to fail in recovery, but when you're around somebody who is going back into those habits, that is very unstable for you. And you have to be a priority number one. You cannot worry about taking care of other people. When you're in eating disorder treatment, it has to be about yourself. Because if you don't take care of yourself, you're not going to get better. You can't worry about taking care of somebody else. You're there 100% for you. That's why I think it's very difficult. I was fortunate I didn't have a relationship going into eating in, into my eating disorder and going into treatment. And I know people did. And luckily, it, it worked out for them. But yeah, I think that's, that's the last thing I would iterate. You have to be so focused on yourself in a way that you never have been before. because. The way that you have been focused on yourself is in a very negative way. So I think that would be my one takeaway. And then just lastly, of course, like I said at the beginning, everything does get better. It just takes time and you have to want it. Again, I sound like an old football coach saying that. but like Once I got too impatient, that's when I was able to settle in and realize, okay, with that help and breaking the mold of what you were doing, that's the biggest thing, getting into a different environment and being able to change what you're doing and and have people who are there to structure around you and make sure that you are doing things right in a way to get better. Once you're there, that's when you have to realize, okay, that's when you can actually start making decisions again. Once you have that opportunity, that's when you make the change and start doing things the way that you would like to.
0: Yeah.
1: Just remember things are going to get better, but just be focused on yourself.
0: Yeah, that's well said. Well said. It, It can be better and it can stay better. I think the focus on yourself is an excellent reminder that we got to take care of ourselves first, right? You know, oxygen mask on yourself first mm-hmm. before you can help anybody else. And so many people with eating disorders want to want to help other people. We got to turn that to ourselves and and help us and, and accept help. Yep, it's a beautiful beautiful thought to end with. And I just I'm so grateful to you, Mark, for spending time with us and sharing your story and and really highlighting those areas. I I think that anybody listening is going to benefit from hearing your wisdom and the the really the positive outcome of of a really, really, really hard illness to have, right so I really appreciate you spending some time with us today.
1: Yeah, I appreciate you guys having me on it was uh It was actually really funny. I was just really happy. I remember I, I was looking at ways that I could you know kind of give back and help out the Emily program and. I saw that there was a podcast. I was like, well, I do podcasts. That would be cool. So I reached out. And I just appreciate you guys having me on. This was, uh, this was great. If anybody does want to reach out to me, I, my Twitter is at mschindlerNBA and reach out to me there. Uh, so just let me, let me know. I, again, I appreciate you guys. Thank you.
0: Great. Thank you so much. If you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe, rate, or leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. If you'd like to learn more about the Emily Program and what we do, visit emilyprogram.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, all at Emily Program. Piecemeal is produced by Angie Mitchell and Nancy Linden with music by Dan Forkey. Thanks for listening.